sir. All right. Look, we work so well together as a team, yes, don't we? Isn't that great? That. And so thank you guys for that. For those of you that have already um, reached out to us this month, we so appreciate the ways that you uh, show your support, love on our family. Uh, we have always felt that in the time that we have been here. And uh, we love serving you, and we love serving together with you in this community. And we're looking forward to what God has in store for our future as well. Uh, anybody know the score of the Vikings game real quick? Uh, just kidding. If you didn't know, the Vikings are playing in London today. So they started, I believe it was at 8.30 this morning. So they're already in the third quarter. Uh, I know it was 13-7 Vikings at halftime. I don't know more beyond that because I didn't look at my phone during church. But uh, uh, the Dolphins have played in the past in London, but they were never good enough to care. And so uh, I, I don't really know what it's like for those of you that are diehard Viking fans. Maybe you're DVRing it, and I've already ruined the first half for you. I uh, apologize for that. And so... But uh, I want to dig into the scripture before I get myself in any more trouble. So we have been going through um, a series that is kind of talking about the book of Revelation without diving in too deep to it. And there are a lot of resources available in the back. I'm not going to take time to go over them again. But there are several books that are available for sale at the table in the back. If you want specific information. I've been pretty uh, specific about each of those books the last couple of weeks, but if you would like me to repeat that, grab me after service, and I'd be happy to tell you what each book is all about, but we're not going to take time to do that uh, in the service today. And what I've been doing is trying to get us to look at the, the book of Revelation, maybe in a way that none of us or some of us never have. A lot of us have grown up in churches where we thought the book of Revelation was a future timeline of the end of the world. So we thought, or we've been taught, that Revelation was all of the events that were going to happen and how they were going to happen and who was going to come on the scene at certain times, and that we were supposed to decipher it by looking around our world and determine what the mark of the beast is, and oh, computer chips are now being able to be implanted into our hands, and the mark of the beast is just around the corner, and I don't want to be tricked into taking the mark of the beast, which by the way, I don't think is possible if you're following the lamb and you are, have just set your heart on following him, you're not going to be tricked into uh, the mark of the beast. It's going to be an overt thing if it happens that way. And so I'm trying to get us to look at a different perspective. And I think that's important because we do not want to be deceived by what happens at the end. And if we get locked into one viewpoint and we're not correct, then when something different happens, we may be confused or even disheartened by that. And so trying to present a different message or a different idea or a different way of seeing the book of Revelation is what this series has been all about. Um, ultimately, no matter how you view the book of Revelation, the overarching message of this book is to give our full allegiance to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. That is what it's all about, and that cannot get lost. One of the free resources that we've made available is the Bible Project. It's a Bible reading plan on the YouVersion Bible app, and it's called Reading Revelation Wisely. I've encouraged you to go through that with us and even interact with each other on YouVersion. I know I encourage us to interact with us on YouVersion, but generally only one or two of us interact. I'd love to hear your thoughts or questions. So this week, go through that Bible reading plan, put some questions on there, 
If you want the link so you can go through the one that we're all in as a group, uh, send me a message and I'll get that link to you. But the Bible Project, does, I think, does a great job of taking the books of the Bible and making them a little bit more understandable for us, going through the culture and the history and uh, the literature and all that it entails. And I have actually printed a chart that looks like this in the back. So it's an 11 by 17 chart, and you can actually lay it out as you're reading through the book of Revelation to, to see uh, how this viewpoint views what you're reading. There's also a script that goes with it. So if you don't have access to the internet or you don't have access to the Version Bible reading plan, the other page that is with this is all of the, the script that they read as they show this video being prepared for you. And so you can take that copy and you can take it home and you can lay it out and talk about or read through the book of Revelation and then you'll get a fuller grasp of what I've been talking about in this service. Now, can I say for certain that this is the correct way to interpret the book of Revelation? No. Can I say for certain that the linear timeline way where we take the book of Revelation and we try to make sense of current events with the book of Revelation. Can I be certain that that's the correct way to deal with the book of Revelation? No. One or the other could be the correct way, or it could be something totally different from either of those, and it could be somewhere in the middle. And so again, the reason I'm saying that we should reach out and just go beyond what we've heard or known in the past. Now, there may be some of you that have never heard the other side. And so I didn't even prepare resources for that linear timeline because it's so readily accessible. You can just turn on Christian television and you will find a program shortly after you turn it on that talks about unpacking the book of Revelation and how the headlines of today's news fit the book of Revelation. It is everywhere. It's very popular. Those books sell like hotcakes because we want to know, like, is this the Antichrist? How's this going to go? What's this going to look like? And that's not a new thing. In fact, if you remember in the book of Acts chapter 1, this scripture is not on the screen, but in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the end and about the culmination of the kingdom of God, and they're asking him specific questions. When is it going to be restored? When is this going to happen? And do you remember what he said to them? It's not for you to know the things that the Father has set by his own authority. The details are not yours to know. But here's what you should know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. That word witness is the word martus in the Greek. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. You will be my witnesses in, Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The book of Revelation is not about the details. I don't believe. I think it's about being his witnesses. The power of the Spirit to be witnesses to and for the Lamb in these last days. The last days that happened once Jesus left the earth and are continuing right up until he comes a second time. And so, the series, if you want to go back online, the first sermon that was a part of this was called Do Your Work as Unto the Lord. We talked about it on Labor Day. The second one was an interesting one on Patriot Day called The Donkey, the Elephant, and the Lamb. You'll find both of those either on our podcast or on our Facebook page or on our YouTube channel, and you can either watch or listen to those. And then last week, we started a, a series or a sermon called The End. 
the end. And it's actually going to be three parts. Last week was part one. Today's going to be part two. And then next week, we're going to finish this up with part three. And so today is the last day I'm going to give you a lot of details about the book of Revelation. And so for some of you, if you really don't like teaching and you don't really like these um, lists and these linear things, you're maybe going to be bored. And I hope that when you get to heaven, God gives you a gold star for paying attention um, and taking this all in because I think it's important. And I think as we close this up next week, you'll see why I thought it was important. And so, as we look at the book of Revelation, I've been encouraging us to wrestle with the different ideas of making sure that we don't give too much allegiance to the beast, to what Revelation calls Babylon, or what I think is the kingdoms of this world. All of them are the kingdoms of the beast, or the kingdoms of empire. In fact, I think this entire book is about a tale of two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And you either it is either kingdom of God or it is kingdom of the world. Now, kingdoms of this world are important. In fact, the scripture will tell us that God appoints kingdoms of this world for seasons and for times. He appoints leaders and civil authorities in our lives for things. And they are God's servants caring about his will on this earth. But they are kingdoms of this world. They are not kingdoms of God. We as believers, as followers of Christ, in the book of Colossians are told, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. And that we are brought into that kingdom. And Paul tells us that we live as citizens, dual citizens, of heaven, even as we are citizens of earth. So we live out this citizenship, and I think that's what's portrayed in the book of Revelation. Now, last week, we, we ended by talking about the type of literature that the book of Revelation is. It's three different types of literature. It's apocalyptic. Apocalyptic means revelation. That's what the, the word apocalypse means. It means revelation. But it's also an epistle. It's a letter. John writes a letter to seven churches it's a message that Jesus is conveying to these churches and to other churches, not just in that time period, but even for churches today. It's also a prophecy. We looked at where in the book of Revelation all of these different words appear. And just to clarify again, prophecy doesn't mean telling about the future. It's not foretelling. It's forthtelling. It's about telling the word of the Lord. And there's always a response that comes from the word of the Lord. That's why over and over in the book of Revelation, we're told to obey the words of the prophecy of Revelation. Okay, if it's just about future events, what is there to obey? There's a command on every page of the book of Revelation for the church and how to be witnesses in this world. And knowing the literature is important. In the book of Matthew, verse 20, or chapter 22, verse 29, Jesus is talking to the people that were supposed to know the Scriptures. And this is what he says to them. You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. They missed his first coming because they didn't understand the Scriptures that they had. 
If you and I think that we are not going to misunderstand the scriptures, that we don't actually have to apply ourselves or study or get together with other believers and really converse and go back and forth and dig in and pray and ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. If we think we're able to just pick up this book and just casually go through it and we're going to know the truth and how it all unfolds, we're fooling ourselves. Because from the beginning of time, people have been mishandling this book. It requires us to really dig in and make sure and pay attention and be teachable and have an open mind and to visit with others in the community of God and to wrestle together with the scriptures. And for us being far removed from this book, it's even more important that we understand the context and the literature of this first century book so that we know how to apply it in our day. I think knowing the culture and the literature of the Bible is important for us. If we don't, I don't know that we can fully understand this book. I think many of us, um, I view this book as one continuous story. I view this book as one continuous story of God telling his plan for humankind from beginning to end. I think at times we misunderstand the Old Testament because we start there, we make up our mind what the Old Testament means, and then we go on to Jesus and the New Testament. And many of us think the New Testament is brand new and the Old Testament is somehow put aside the Old Covenant and that there's this new covenant in Jesus that makes the Old obsolete. The New Testament will tell us over and over again the Old Testament is not obsolete. In fact, I believe if you start with Jesus and you look back at the Old Testament, we get a clearer picture of what the Old Testament is all about. The old covenant that God made with Abraham and the nation of Israel, Jesus came as the complete fulfillment of that covenant. He said it himself. I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. The Torah The the books of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, I came to fulfill those and the prophets. Everything points to me. And now there's a new covenant, not brand new, but renewed. So what God always intended the old covenant to do, Jesus did. He lived it perfectly, and now he empowers us to do the same, and the covenant has been renewed. Does that make sense? That's important because a lot of us look at the Old Testament and we think that that is just to show us that we could never measure up. That is not what the Old Covenant is all about. The Old Covenant is the story that God has been telling from the beginning that Jesus is the fulfillment of, that you and I are now called to partner in and we have been grafted into the nation of Israel, the people of God. We have been grafted into the Old Covenant which has been renewed in Jesus Christ and we live together in this life. Now, does that mean we have to take on the, the, the identity of the Jewish people? No, that's what Acts chapter 15 is all about. The Gentiles were grafted into the nation of Israel, but not expected to live out the covenant that was given to Abraham and the descendants of Israel. But to this day, Jews that put their faith in Jesus still remain true to the original covenant given to Abraham through the, the God's original promise. And that's what the early church really did. And so what happens is, when we don't understand the Old Testament, 
Then we get into these war of words. For, for centuries, we have argued about what's most important. Um, it's really gotten highlighted since 2020, but it's what we refer to often as a social gospel. Uh, there are people that are like, no, it's all about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. And other people are, no, we have to take care of the poor and the orphan and the widow. And it's these justice issues. And I would tell you, if you understand your Old Testament and you understand Jesus and you understand your New Testament, you will realize that it is both. That's the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom is about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. The gospel of the kingdom is about living out the kingdom values and principles here in this life which are taking care of the poor and the orphan and the widow and dealing with injustices that happen in our society today. There is a word in the Hebrew called zedek. And zedek is a Hebrew word that can mean righteousness or justice. It's the same thing. And translators have to try to translate which is the better use of that term. And in the Old Testament, you cannot separate these things. You cannot separate right living from justice issues, from dealing with the, the foreigner, the orphan, the widow, the poor. All of those things, those justice issues, are also righteousness issues. Now, there's also a secondary word for justice, and that secondary word shows up in Psalm 89, 14. This is a word for justice that's different. First, we have the word zedek, which means righteousness, and justice are the foundation of your throne. Look at this. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And yet today, in our church world, we're arguing about which of these is most important. They're both the foundation of God's throne. See, it's not about just getting people to accept Jesus so they go to heaven when they die. It's about living the kingdom principles and values right now here on earth. And part of that kingdom principle and value is loving people the way that Christ loved us. It's caring for the poor. It's caring for the orphan. It's caring for the widow. It's caring for the foreigner. It's the marginalized. It's dealing with justice issues right here in our own country. That's a part of the kingdom of God, and it's the gospel that God addresses. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, what does God require of us? That we act justly, that we love mercy, and that we walk humbly with our God. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus reiterates that and says that the, the most important things are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Justice, mercy, and and walking humbly, faithfully with our God. And I believe understanding the type of literature helps us understand the point of the Scripture from beginning to end. Let me give you two brief analogies, and then we're going to jump into Revelation, and I'm going to give you a couple things to take home to, to look at as you read the book of Revelation this week. The word for Revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. Okay? Apocalypsis is the word revelation. It's given to us in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have started to take that word apocalypse, and we think it means the end of the world or cataclysmic event, like it's an apocalypse. It's the end of the world. Um, but it really just means revelation. And if you notice in Revelation chapter 1, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not the revelation of the Antichrist. Did you notice that? Revelation 1.1, it's the revelation of Jesus 
Christ. So when we start to understand the apocalyptic genre and style, we would understand that this style uses symbols and uh, pictures and even grotesque images to convey a meaning or to convey a message that's not necessarily about the specific details, but it's about the overarching message trying to be conveyed. We'll also recognize that it uses other Old Testament imagery like Zechariah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. All of them appear in the book of Revelation. And it's not necessarily this secret code that we have to understand in order to understand the end times. Over the past several um, decades, it's become really popular again to talk about creation. Some people believe that creation, as we're told in Genesis chapter 1, is a literal telling of events. That this is exactly how it happened on day 1, on day 2, on day 3, on day 4, on day 5. God said it, this is what it did, this is how it happened. There are other people in the body of Christ that view the Scripture not literally, but more abstract. Because as Westerners, we tend to like linear, logical things. Like, we like things to just line up. But if you actually look at creation, it's interesting that God created light before He created the sun, moon, and stars. It's interesting that He created plants before He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Like, logically, it doesn't line up. Now, I get it. God can do anything he wants, and he could have kept those plants alive before the sun was created. I get it. God can do anything. But what if this is not necessarily supposed to be taken as a scientific textbook, and you and I are actually supposed to understand that this is a, an abstract concept that's talking about the Creator? Is that possible? And there are many in the body of Christ that really have started to do that. And then what happens is, people that tend to view the Bible as totally literal come along and they say, oh, that's a slippery slope. You're saying the Bible is no longer authoritative. If you start saying the Bible is abstract, then, 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 you're, then it's losing its meaning. I disagree. You can think that creation is a literal telling of exactly how it happened and think the Bible is authoritative. I think you can look at creation as an abstract story that is actually telling that God is the creator, and you can take that and you can actually believe that Scripture is still authoritative no matter which viewpoint you take. Some people have actually started to question whether Daniel was a real person. Or was the book of Daniel actually written? Because we, don't, we really don't have any archaeological evidence that Daniel ever existed. So, did Daniel exist? I don't know. Maybe. But does that mean the book of Daniel is no longer a literal... It's not authoritative. If Daniel didn't exist, the Bible would lose its power. False. False. If the reason that the authors wrote the book of Daniel was to convey a message about how to live under Babylonian rule or Roman occupation, and that was the meaning behind the message, it doesn't matter whether it's a true factual story or not. Let me introduce you to a man named Jesus. Jesus conveyed message after message after message of kingdom truth. And do you know how he chose to convey them? Through parables, stories, they weren't real. The truths were very real. Why do I say all of this? Because w the way you view the Bible, it doesn't matter whether you view it as this literal, I'm a fundamentalist, everything is accurately true, or you view it as this abstract telling of truths, the Bible is authoritative either way. How do I know that? 
Well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. That means Jesus is God. Okay? So He is the ultimate authoritative picture of truth. He is truth. There is archaeological evidence that Jesus not only lived, but that He was crucified, and that He was raised from the dead. There is proof of all three of those things. Historically accurate proof. Jesus comes along in Matthew chapter 5 and he says this. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. I want to stop there for a second. When you read the word law, you have to understand what Jesus is saying is that he's, he's referring to the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He is not referring to the 636 commandments that are given in those books. He is referring to all of the books, all of the stories, all of the messages that are being conveyed. And he says all of those things are authoritative. So whether those are literal tellings or whether those are abstract tellings doesn't matter because they've been given authority by Jesus himself. Verse 18, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the Torah until everything is accomplished. Okay, so I don't care how you want to take the, the Scripture. It's authoritative. The truths being conveyed, whether literal or abstract, I tend to think they're abstract. Don't stone me. It's still authoritative. Does that make sense? Just say yes, even if it doesn't make sense. Then I'll feel better about myself. Now, Daniel. What if Daniel's not a real person? Here's the thing. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken about by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the, the reader understand. Now, here's what I know. Jesus said those words. So whether or not Daniel was a real person or it was a figurative telling that was apocalyptic to the, the church under Roman occupation to empower them to be witnesses under the Roman occupation doesn't matter to me because Jesus gives it authority. So it has authority. Okay? So you can be free to be on any part of that spectrum as long as you agree that the truths being conveyed in this book are accurate and authoritative. Does that make sense? Good. Now, the reason I bring that all up is because the Bible Project, when we come back to this chart, I want you to, as you go through this, this week, I want you to take this chart and lay it out and read the book of Revelation with an open mind. The idea conveyed behind this chart and by the teaching of the Bible Project is that the, the book of Revelation is history's pattern. It's a symbolic vision given to the church to empower them and to strengthen them to live out our calling as people of the, the, the followers of Jesus, followers of the Lamb. All human kingdoms eventually become Babylon. And Jesus will return and he will set up his kingdom on this earth. There are seven different sets of seven that appear in the book of Revelation. There are seven seals in chapters 6 through 8. There are seven trumpets in chapters 8 through 11. There are seven bowls in chapters 15 through 16. Now, either these are just, these are different time periods that are occurring, or these are cycles. 
These are just different ways of looking at the exact same pattern throughout all, excuse me, all of history. Either one of those could be accurate. We tended in evangelical circles for a long time to view it always as just this linear timeline of events. But more and more are starting to understand that this could possibly be just a retelling of the same story over and over. There's always plagues that happen on the earth in each of these three seven accounts. These, these seven things that happen three times, I should say. Okay? There's always plagues. And at the end of those plagues, people don't repent. But then there's always an army of the Lamb that's introduced. And when these people live according to the the kingdom of the Lamb, when they lay down their lives, when they operate under kingdom principles, some people repent. And then there's a final judgment that comes on the earth. In each of the seven things, as you look at the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bulls, you'll see a pattern for each and every one of those. There are other sections of the book that kind of weave their way into in between these. The first three chapters are the seven churches that we're going to unpack next week. And then in chapters 12 through 14, there's this picture of the cosmic battle that's happened all throughout. And you can kind of see, I know it's really small up here, but as you look at the chart, you'll see how it all can fit together and could be the way that I've been describing it or the way that they've described it in the book of Revelation. There are these two mysterious people that show up in chapter 10 and 11, and they're these two witnesses. They're called lampstands. They could be two literal beings, but I think because they're called lampstands and because they refer to the army of the Lamb that appears in the seven bowls and the seven seals, I think the seven trumpets aren't just the two people, but they're the prophetic call that's on the church as the lampstand to live out the nature of the Lamb on the earth, even in the most difficult of times that are coming on the world. Pay attention to the way that the the nation of Babylon is portrayed, being drunk on the blood of the martyrs and also on the blood of the innocent, the people who have been victimized throughout history by empires. Can I tell you that empires tend to trample upon the poor, the orphan, the widow, That's what generally happens. The rich, the wealthy, they rise to the top in empire, and then generally there are people that get pressed down with injustice in human kingdoms. We try to keep that from happening, but that's the general nature of kingdom. So pay attention to the way Babylon is displayed throughout the book of Revelation. And then I want you to pay attention to two more things. The difference between what John hears and what John sees. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, we get a picture. It says, One of the elders says to John, Do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is open. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So listen. He hears the lion of the tribe of Judah is able to do this thing. And then in verse 6, he turns and he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. What I want you to understand is John heard the lion and he saw the lamb. Jesus is depicted throughout the entire book of Revelation, with the exception of chapter 1, as being bloodied. 
laying down his life. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah, meaning he has all authority and all power. That's who he is. But in reality, he's willing. He's the lamb. He sacrifices. He lays down his life. So when we start taking weapons of the world to fight like the lion, we're fighting. We're going to fight back. We're going to punch him in the mouth. You're, you're following beast, not lamb. Pastor Tom, are you saying we should all lay our lives down? Well, I'm not, but it sure looks like the book of Revelation is. That's the way of the Lamb. And it's repeated over and over and over and over in the book of Revelation. In fact, when the people of God actually start doing that in the book of Revelation, willing to lay down their lives, willing to give their lives, people start repenting. Isn't that interesting? The plagues and all of the things that are poured out on the earth just cause people to become more angry and more violent. But when the people of God, the Lamb's army, start laying down their lives the way Jesus did, hmm, people start repenting. In Revelation chapter 7, look at this. John hears the numbers of those who were sealed, the 144,000 from all the, tw the tribes of Israel, 12 from this tribe, 12 from this tribe. Again, that's that understanding of the Old Testament scriptures that it's about the nation of Israel and it's about these 144,000. But then he looks at the end of that, verse 9, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language standing before the throne and the Lamb. What is happening here? See, there's an expectation for the Jewish people that it's the nation of Israel. It's the Jewish people. That's who it's coming from. But the reality is, it's not the expectation. The reality is it's every nation and every tribe and every tongue and every language and all joining together. This is a global movement. This is who the king is. And these things matter to us when we interpret the book of Revelation. I don't want you to get lost in the weeds. I want you to look at that chart. I want you to lay it out. I want you to read through the book of Revelation. And then I want you to keep in mind seven principles. I want to give these to you. You're not going to have time to write them because I'm going to go through them pretty quick. They're going to be basic. They're going to be things that you remember. But if you want to grab your phone and take pictures of them and you can look at them later, that's a great way to do it. But I want you to remember these because no matter how you view the book of Revelation, whether you view it as a linear timeline of events, and I know I've been hard on those people and I apologize if I've uh, appeared to, to mock that, uh, that could totally be an accurate depiction of the end times. And I am not going to sell that short. I don't tend to believe that view, but guess what? I could be wrong. Yep, you heard it here first. Pastor Tom could be wrong. But no matter what view you take, these seven things have to be kept in focus. The first one is this. We believe in a personal, visible, bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether there's a millennium or not, Jesus is coming back to this earth and he will reign visibly. In his resurrected body, he will be here. Okay? That is truth. Number two, we believe that Christ's return is imminent. That word just means it could happen at any time. We believe today Jesus could come back. 
And we as the body of Christ ought to live like it. So we should not just be focusing on making the city of Huron a better place to live, making sure that we have a a good retirement for ourselves and that our kids have a good college fund. Those are good things. We should strive for all of them. We should be preparing for the kingdom of the Lamb to show up. And we should be making sure we're doing everything in our power to make sure other people are prepared for the kingdom of the Lamb to show up. It could happen at any moment. Number three, there will be a final judgment. The faithful followers of Jesus will enjoy eternal perfect fellowship with Christ and those who rejected him will experience eternal separation from him in hell. There is a popular teaching out there today that says hell is not a real place. Hell is a place. There will be total separation from God. There will be eternal torment for those who choose not to follow the Lamb. Jesus will do everything in his power to give people an opportunity to choose him. He laid down his life to choose, for them to choose him. He has called us to lay down our lives so they will choose him. But people will still continue to not choose him. And those people will find themselves separated from him for eternity. Those people should not incur our hatred or our wrath on this earth. Those people that maybe want to spit at and mock and even take things from us, this has to stay in perspective. Because if we, get in, if we start displaying animosity toward them and anger toward them, that is not going to lead them to repentance. We fight according to the Lamb, knowing that final judgment is secured. Number four. God will consummate his redemptive plan in response to the prayers of his people. Jesus taught his people to pray, his kingdom come, his will be done. Prayer matters. Prayer matters. Prayer is the most important thing we do as the body of Christ. It recognizes that I can't do it apart from him. I need his intervention on the earth. I need him to do work against the powers and principalities and spiritual forces that are at work. And it's not just about me telling someone about Jesus. Then it's not just me about me trying to, to get laws changed. It's about principalities and powers that are only attacked through prayer. Jesus taught us to pray. The book of Revelation shows the church praying and bowls being poured out for the prayers of the saints on the earth. And in Luke chapter 18, Jesus told a story that the church should always pray and not give up. And then he questioned at the end of that story, will he find that kind of faith on the earth when he returns? Prayer matters. Number five, in the last days, the church is called to bear bold witness, martus, for Jesus in the power of the Spirit. That word witness is the word martus. Remember I said it earlier? We're going to talk a lot about that word next week. That is where we get our word martyr from. Let me just give you a little sampling. When we think of martyr, we think of people who die for the sake of the gospel. But the word martyr biblically is someone who actually just lives for the sake of the gospel with the willingness to die. So when it says give your life for the gospel, it doesn't mean you're dying. It means you're living. That's the word martus. It's translated most of the time in Scripture as the word witness or witnesses. You and I are called to be witnesses of the Lamb 
willing to give our lives for him. That's what it means to be a martus. We'll talk about that a lot next week. Number six, in his first coming, Jesus inaugurates God's kingdom by decisively defeating the power of Satan, sin, and death. With his second coming, Jesus consummates God's kingdom by destroying all evil and redeeming his creation. His first coming inaugurated his kingdom. His kingdom is already happening now. Not fully, because that will consummate when he comes a second time and he deals with evil once and for all. Those are the two comings of Jesus, his first and his second. And then number seven, the culmination of God's redemptive plan includes the transformation of our world and the resurrection of our bodies. Now, some people are of the belief that this world is going to blow up and that God is going to create a brand new heaven and a brand new earth, and that's where we're going to live for all of eternity. Again, I disagree with that concept. I think God is going to renew this earth, and he is going to bring heaven to earth, and they are going to come together, the renewed heaven and earth, once again, as God originally intended, Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22, perfectly fitting together. So those seven things are things that, no matter how you view all of the details of Revelation, these are the things that we hold true. Okay? So as you go through this week, as you look at the book of Revelation, I promise you next week, I will not be teachy. I will not give you facts and details. I will not bore you with things. I'm going to bring together what the purpose of the book of Revelation is all about. And I think the purpose of the book of Revelation, let me just give it to you briefly, is to be faithful to the Lamb and faithful like the Lamb. Faithful to the Lamb and faithful like the Lamb. And that's what we're going to talk about next week after you do all of your studying to prepare for that next week. What should you do for pastor appreciation this week? You should study the book of Revelation. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. We should pray. Don't tell my wife I said that. <laughs> She's not here today. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, thank you for showing us how to live in, in a crazy world, to show us how to live in the face of enemies that even want to kill us. Jesus, thank you for being the faithful witness, for being the faithful Israelite, for being the one that fulfilled the Old Testament law, for being the one who fulfilled the prophets, for being the one who fulfilled the writings, who brought all of this to pass and then sent your spirit to live inside of us so that you, so that we could live just like you so that you could be the firstborn among all of us as your brothers and sisters. Jesus, I pray this week, as we study the book of Revelation one more time, as we read through it, as we look for what you're trying to convey to us, Holy Spirit, make it clear. Help us to see things we didn't see before. Help us to see how it is that we can be faithful to the Lamb. Show us how we can be faithful like the Lamb. Show us things that we've missed before. Give us grace to wrestle through these things and to know what our calling is as your, as your followers. God, help us not to get trapped in the details, wanting to know exactly how it's all going to shake out. God, help us to know the message that you're trying to convey to us of faithfulness, of bringing your kingdom to pass here on this earth. And so, Holy Spirit, give us grace. God, I pray for all of the things that I've shared today, 
the way I've overwhelmed this body with just information today. Holy Spirit, bring back to their minds the things they need to know. Help them to make sense of this book that for years maybe has confused or even we've been apathetic towards and haven't studied or read in the ways that we should have. Give us a new understanding and a new love for this book of the Bible. Holy Spirit, make it clean, make it plain, make it clear, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before you leave today, again, if you've not picked up one of those charts, they're on the table in the back. You can take one home with you. They're free. They will cost you nothing. The books are out there as well. If you want more information about those, I'll be out in the lobby in just a moment. Would love to visit with you about those. Offering baskets are out there. Connect cards are out there. Calendars are out there. Lots of information about our church. Please take time to stop by the table before you leave today. God bless you as you go. Thank you for being here today.